Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 207 of the ATPHC team podcast with myself and Danai. Hi Danai, how are you? Good, thank you. Just enjoying the longer days, just looking out of the window now and it's a lot sunny here in London, which makes such a big difference in feeling a little bit more alive. And Anna looks miserable as hell looking outside of her window right now. <laughs> well, just hearing how sunny it is in London. Could, could either of you just send it my way, please? I'm so fed up of rain. It's weird that you don't have sun in London does. You're not that far. No, no. Do you know what it is? So exciting news. My house is going on the market. And obviously it's today that it decides to rain when the guy's coming to take photos. So, of course. <laughs> Cheers, oh, cheers, yeah. universe, for doing me a solid. <laughs> oh, I love your house from what I've seen of it. But exciting. It is exciting. It is exciting. And hopefully someone else can have a very pretty little cottage after yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, how exciting. Well, um, warning for today's podcast, I have raging, raging PMS. So I may show a lot of fierce compassion today. This is what <laughs> some may call sassy, Amelia. And just ready for it. <sighs> yeah, oh, I'm so here for sassy, Amelia. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, you're talking about the weather. And I was going to, because I'm, I'm also like due my period. It should be tomorrow. And the weather in London represents PMS right now. It's like, it's, it's raining. The sun is coming out for five minutes. It's raining. The sun is coming out for like yeah. five minutes. It's raining. So that's my mood the week <laughs> <laughs> absolute mood absolute mood but lesbian um lesbian for some reason is kind of nocturnal it's very interesting so you you start to wind down at night and we've been working in the nights really so we haven't been up for dinner and it'll be about nine o'clock and shut the laptop go into my room and then it's like that's an interesting sound it's like mopeds just up and down up and down and this continues like this is not just a nine till 10 p.m the first night we were here 3 30 in the morning there was like a three or four young lads, I guess. I'm assuming they sounded like young lads, just repeatedly going around in circles. And I was like, it's 3 30 in the morning, you little rascals. And apparently here they just like to party all the way through the night, which I do remember those days. But unfortunately, I already have raging PMS. What I do not require is a lack of sleep. And I did my usual, I'm going to take a selfie of myself in front of Zoom today. And as I did that, I looked at myself and I thought, what is that under my eye? That's just an absolute giant bag. And I feel like I've been, <laughs> so either I've been punched in the eye and I have a bruise or it's just pure lack of sleep. So I am very grateful to be in Lisbon, but my sassiness, like, I don't know about you guys, but PMS for me is, doesn't impact my mood as much as it impacts. Like I'm still like, I'm still happy, whatever that means, but like, I'm still chill, but it's the irritability for me. Like yeah. that's what gets me. Yeah. Yeah, my my tolerance levels. <laughs> I'm just like, no, no, you can no go. Yeah. Get in the bin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same. It's the tolerance levels that kind of go down, but for me more in a in a sensitive, oh, I wanna cry kind of way. Get oh. really teary. That's a safer one for those around you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not safe at all. 
Anyway, we move. Um, okay, let's get cracking on the questions. Denai, do you want to go first? Yes. So it's a question from uh, Becca's client. I find that when things are going well in life, relationships, family, work, health, I'm reluctant to allow myself to feel too happy or too excited in case something goes wrong. It's almost like I'm waiting for a disaster because things are too smooth. I still enjoy my time in the present, but it's a constant worry at the back of my mind. I recognize this is stupid because I'm worrying about an unknown thing, which is entirely out uh, of my control. Any thoughts or advice on how to stop doing this? I don't know. I feel like we both, we both laughed when I was like, I know where this is going. <laughs> I know where this is going. Uh, not to get all Brene, but what was it? Foreboding joy. And uh, funny enough, I was having this similar conversation with a client this morning. Um, she's worrying about a weekend away. And we were saying how like worrying about it now is like putting yourself through it twice isn't it and ultimately for her it came down to control and it's what she found really helpful was keeping in mind that she is only able to control herself and everything else around her is always going to be changing and unpredictable but if she can keep calm and keep present that's when you can fully like enjoy the moment and and like be happy where you're at right now rather than always worrying about what if what might because a lot of the time those things don't even happen anyway i think it's interesting to link it to um like like where would that feeling be coming from like why do you think everything is always going to go wrong um maybe you have some core beliefs or limiting beliefs around that that you haven't maybe addressed yet and that's why you feel like everything is always going to go wrong and, and challenging those and checking in with those like are they actually true another thing I think is managing your expectations of happiness like happiness is not being happy all of the time happiness is embracing all the full range of human emotion and practicing gratitude for the moments that we do feel that kind of what we would call kind of classic happiness right the joy and again Brene talks about this so much which is why we were kind of laughing um she talks about like the antidote to foreboding joy being gratitude so in those moments of when things are going quote unquote well really expressing your gratitude and consistently having this gratitude practice so that when things do become more challenging you've got that kind of backup and that safety net and you you're not wasting your joyful moments worrying about the sad times because then you just never have any joyful moments. Um, she tells the story of this man that she met who, who was completely in love with his wife and they'd been together for, let's say, 50 years. And um, they, he always said, you know, I was so scared of her dying first. I used to worry all the time that something was going to happen to her. And it, like, it took away from my, like, from my life because I was so worried. He said, and then she did die suddenly and I felt such intense grief and that wasn't made any easier by the fact that I'd worried about her dying all of that time. All it did was take away from the life that I had. And I think that's exactly it. Like waiting for the other shoe to drop is not going to make the shoe drop in any easier. And we often do it because we think it's going to protect us because, oh, well, we knew it was going to happen. We knew it wasn't going to last forever. We knew things would be bad, but it doesn't make it any easier. It just makes you feel right. 
And would you not rather be happy than be right? I would think most of us would anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It is certainly a coping mechanism and a control uh, thing here. But I think it's also important to kind of normalize and say that, you know, most people struggle with the that fear of the unknown as well and kind of aborting joint. Even in research like they say that actually more, most people struggling sitting with joy as opposed to actually other uncomfortable feelings because joy itself can be uncomfortable in its own way. I think just to add there, because gratitude so powerful, I've worked on this with some clients and they found just the idea of mindfulness of actually catching the thought and calling it out as they're about to worry about the future uh, in that moment of actually just saying, I have a part of, and I notice I have a part of me that is just about to worry about the future. And then that itself can just help you step out of, of, of kind of, of, of that thought and come back to the present moment and then kind of using gratitude as well there to, uh, to really remind yourself of actually what's really making you happy right now. I like that a lot. I love that idea of the difficulty of sitting with joy. I think that's powerful. And I think if you ask people how comfortable they felt sitting in joy without the fear of losing it, it would be very interesting. I think that's such a nice point. Anna, question. Does the body fat set point exist? I feel like I keep gaining where my body wants to sit when I don't control as much. To some degree, settling range, yeah, settling range does exist, but it's not what people think of like, you're born with this genetic makeup of you will weigh 72.5 kilos and your body will do everything it can to get back to that point if it deviates from that. That's not what it is. Set point or sort of rather settling range is a range of weight, which is probably higher than you think, a big, a sort of more varied range than you think. And it's based on some genetic components. For example, maybe our resting hunger levels for example, our BMR doesn't really differ that much, but for some people it might be slightly different, maybe with PCOS. Some genetic components, some environmental components, some psychological components, as all of these things that tie together that create what we call a settling range, which is where you thrive. And that, but that all ties together things like your habits, your exercise, your energy intake, all of these things. Much of what determines our settling range, we have some autonomy over and some control over the reason in this situation why you find that you're gaining weight probably when you're not controlling is because you're trying to control your body at a lower settling range than is what is optimal for you that's usually what happens we want our settling ranges because of this internalized then ideal and weight stigma we want our our the settling range to be probably five kilos, 10 kilos less than what is optimal for our body. And when we think about settling ranges, it's when we are thriving, when we're regulated, it's when we're not preoccupied by food, when we're eating regularly and sufficiently, and we're not, you know, we don't have disordered habits. We have energy for work. We have energy for socializing. We rest well. And when all of these things are combined, that's where our settling range is. And often for a lot of people, it is higher than we want it to be. Um, and so we fight against that with trying to control it. And often that leads to this kind of yo-yo dieting of I'm going to control it and bring it down. And you can technically move your settling range based on all of your habits and things like that. And so for some people, their settling range is slightly higher, but they change their habits 
um and their food choices etc and, and they they can kind of push it down a little bit um but realistically it's within probably five kilos for most people in terms of and it's a healthy weight it's i know health i use healthy weight kind of loosely but it is still a healthy weight for your body it's not like someone's settling range is going to be where their bmi is maybe in the 40s that's not what a settling range is okay sometimes i can ignore my gut feelings and instinct in the moment and when i do i can see that my actions are coming from a place of fear scarcity ego etc but there's also something there around having to earn it earn rest joy fun good relationships so if i don't deem it as earned there's a guilt attached but then i try to further ignore that guilt and carry on but that then adds to the guilt shame overdo cycle what are your thoughts Oh, oh, there's some, uh, I, I feel like there's some uh, conditions of worth in there, maybe, <laughs> that uh, you're not, um, you're not worthy of those, those, those things for whatever reason. And ultimately, it's going to come down to challenging those, those thoughts, those feelings, those limiting beliefs, ultimately because any of those things that you've mentioned like the joy the rest good relationships that's just kind of part of like flourishing health right <laughs> and why why wouldn't you want those things in your life why wouldn't you be worthy of those things in your life yeah exactly and the other thing I would say about the feeling of guilt is we know when we do something that's relatively unfamiliar and going against to kind of what has kept you perhaps safe all, the, all of this time that it, it, the feeling of guilt will come up it's more about kind of how you you know essentially sitting with it learning how to recognize it without identifying with that and giving yourself a lot of compassion as you're kind of like Anna is saying as you're kind of becoming more intentional about doing all of those things prioritizing your rest doing things and bring you uh, joy working towards building healthy relationships and still say, staying with the guilt as it's as it's showing up and the more kind of you give yourself compassion when that is happening the more that is going to be supporting your self-worth both because you're acting in line with your values but also because you're being kinder to yourself in general yeah I agree I think the thing is not expecting to not feel guilt for a while whilst you're challenging this and there's a certain element of testing the waters with this sort of stuff of saying, okay, well, I know that I feel guilty when I rest, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, like you said tonight, sit with that guilt. And then maybe I'm just going to rest for 20 minutes rather than like a full day. And I'm just going to notice that. And then I'm going to push myself a little bit more. And you're training it like you would train a muscle, like you would train yourself in mindfulness of just noticing it and not taking it as a sign not to do something. The problem is, is we obviously associate guilt with something that we've done something wrong. Um, and so it can be quite a difficult one to train yourself into saying I'm not doing something wrong here but a nice idea is to maybe when you do rest that you use that time to journal and rather than sitting down with a plan of what you're going to journal just have, sit and have your journal there and notice the stories that are coming up and as the stories come up write them down and say things like the story that I'm telling myself is I should be doing something okay well why should I be doing something because I've got free time and that should be used for something. Okay, but why should that free time be used for something? And really questioning yourself and consistently going down there. Like I might say, 
because other people are working when I'm not. Okay, um, why does that matter? Mm, because I want to feel as good as everyone else. Okay, well, why does that matter? Like really just asking yourself over and over again. And it can be quite confronting, but coming back to your values too, of like, well, so if that was me, I would probably ask it, well, what are your values? Your values are taking care of your health and modeling good healthful behaviors to your clients. Okay, so me resting is actually in line with my values. So that's okay. So I think having a, a journal there, when you do challenge yourself sometimes, it's a nice way to start working through it. Because sometimes when you look back on it, you can't really recognize the stories that you're telling yourself. Often when we look back on our behaviors, I don't know about you guys, but when I look back on behaviors, I'm like, what the hell was I doing? Many a time. Um, but in the moment, that made sense. In the moment, that felt safe and that felt right. So in the moment, you want to try and start to unpack some of that or at least write it down so that when you're in a different place, you can then unpack it. Yeah. Right, question. Um, so um, this is a question from uh, Rosalind's client. What happens if I binge overeat on protein-heavy foods? nothing physiologically it's not hugely different you'll have a slightly higher thermogenic effect of protein versus other um, macronutrients you it, because of the digestion and absorption process i think you assimilate slightly fewer of those calories because foods are like calories are not all created equal and actually energy availability of certain foods means that we don't always absorb and digest and assimilate like the same number of calories from every different type of food for example um caloric availability not energy availability but same thing um thinking about periods um so but realistically it like nothing else is significantly different um in that sense you might find that binging on foods that are high in protein it's more difficult to do because they're more satiating than other foods and they're higher volume than other foods. Um, and I think sometimes when you're trying to break the overeating or binge eating cycle, sometimes you can, as you move out of binging, you can find yourself in, in the overeating kind of way of eating. And I think sometimes whilst you are breaking that habit, it can be useful to have certain foods that allow you to overeat but are maybe slightly less ultra processed or slightly less highly palatable um so protein foods might be within that um you know fruit grapes things like that like partly for your health but partly because let's not be naive to the fact you don't just snap your fingers and then stop binge eating there's always a bit of a process well almost always a bit of a process with that but um realistically if you're actively choosing which foods to eat to binge on you have probably more control and more awareness around what you're doing than that kind of complete out-of-body experience probably again it depends on what foods you've got available etc um which is maybe a good a bit of a good sign for you that you're starting to become more aware um in the moment of what choices you're making which it means you're potentially becoming a bit more mindful which could be good um but it depends obviously on your start point on on i'm just gonna flip it slightly and of course completely agree that that can be a sign of progress but equally i would check 
in if it's almost a but this is okay because it's protein based mm. i'm not i'm not, obviously i don't know the the context i don't know the background but it's something to reflect on perhaps yeah it's such a good point also such a good point um it's me isn't it yes uh can the reason for your disordered eating habits if unresolved manifest in different ways throughout your life for example under eating and over exercising to overeating and under exercising for sure for sure it's not even just food and exercise it's also alcohol it's also spending it's also sex uh, it's over, also overworking and we see this a lot with P the PT clients that we work with they restore their relationship with food but then they find themselves overeating so okay that's great that we've worked on your relationship with food but there's still an underlying dysregulation that's leading you potentially to this overworking cycle um, often a lot of these habits are um, symptoms of an underlying dysregulation or unmet need or something like that and once you work on one it might pop up in another way yeah, I had this uh, chat with a client actually. She's gone quite far in uh, healing her relationship with food and stopping the binge eating, which for her was a big part of actually using food as a way to kind of comfort difficult emotions. And then when that was under control, she started to kind of subconsciously always be really busy, always have stuff going on, the weekends being packed with, with plans. And then, of course, it got to a stage where she was really tired and she was feeling exhausted and other things kind of she started to neglect other things around self-care. And then, of course, we got really curious and kind of had that realisation that it takes time to actually be, become really safe to experience all range of emotions and to really kind of practice those tools. And it's so complex with the disorder eating because so many times we see essentially it's kind of that combination of people are trying to over-restrict and, and diet and at the same time they might be finding themselves overeating for emotional dysregulation right and the more we try to diet and the more we overeat or we the more we uh the more we comfort it so uh but yeah i mean we so many clients kind of jump from under eating or overeating depending on the situation that it is but the main thing is at the end of the day they're all kind of serving a similar purpose of uh how i kind of feel safe or how I cope with something that makes me feel uncomfortable or that kind of fear that I'm not good enough. Okay, how to achieve your goals when you are prone to feeling helpless in areas of your life? Okay, are you gonna go? No, no, you go. Silence. Um, we're mulling. We're mulling. I'm not. I think sometimes helplessness is an interesting one. And sometimes it comes from, from we talk about the drama triangle sometimes, Goodman's drama triangle of, you know, within our relationship dynamics, we often fall into one of three roles, persecutor, victim, or um, rescuer. And sometimes the helpless feelings can come from falling into a little bit of the victim role. And this is not me calling this person a victim. This is me saying that maybe as you grew up, you found that the way to get acceptance and love was through that helplessness of having someone rescue you in some way or, 
being persecuted in some way like that may have been a dynamic for you and again this is not me saying that you are a victim in life at all it's just how you potentially learned to get that acceptance and then that connection which is obviously just a, a fundamental human need and when you can frame it in that way maybe you can think back and think oh I can see maybe where that might have developed and this is not for everyone this might or may or may not fit or ring true for you but when you can start to make those links it's like okay well as a child that might be the re- that might have been the reality but as an adult is that the place that I still want to be in are there actions that I can take that would maybe move me out of that role? Feeling victimized is a horrible feeling. Feeling helpless is a horrible feeling. But I think challenging that, because as a child, you may well have been helpless. Um, but as an adult, you're not. And especially when you have goals to achieve, they're your goals because you, for a reason, because they align with your values, because hopefully, because you really want to achieve them. And no one will ever be able to do it for you. You're the only person that is completely helpful in the situation. And when you look at, okay, well, what's thoughts here and what's fact? Fact is you are completely helpful. And I know who this person is and I know how unbelievably competent she is. So you are totally competent and, and helpful to do this. So I think some of it is about challenging that story and challenging that narrative And then giving yourself the evidence, which I know that this person is also doing, but consistently giving yourself the evidence because when you're not giving yourself the evidence, when you're not taking action, it confirms the belief that you're helpless. That may well feel safe to you. And if you think back to what I was saying about connection, it might feel like the safest place for you for, especially if you feel like you're lacking connection or acceptance in your life right now, you might go back to that role that, feel safest that you feel like that's going to get me that um but that doesn't mean necessarily what well, doesn't mean especially if you're trying to achieve your goals that that is the right way to do it I think thinking of it as stepping into empowerment and that means meeting yourself with compassion but also kind of what well, as you were saying at the start that fierce self-compassion in that sometimes it is going to have to be more kind of like disciplined and when you are kind of having those wobbly days where you want to go back to the safety of what potentially kind of the the helplessness that's when you go no look this is yes I'm having a challenging day but this is more important to me yeah I think the the only thing I was thinking as well is sometimes that I think getting stuck in that helplessness sometimes perhaps can be sometimes uh, a, li- a little bit of an avoidance strategy as well. If if actually stepping into that empowerment could then kind of you get to a stage where you have to acknowledge certain things that maybe you've experienced or certain feelings that you have that can be quite pa- painful to face and work through. So we may, a part of us might find it easier to stay stuck in that kind of helplessness, victim mentality. The other thing I was thinking, completely different context here. I think so many clients will resonate with the helplessness feeling, generally speaking, when they come to us, because they've tried so many different diets to to kind of lose weight or change their body. And when they come to us, they're like, well, we've tried everything. I feel like a failure. It's like, it's a little bit similar. Perhaps I'm feeling like I'm failing when I'm a constant failure from kind of having 
internalize all of those failed attempts and making it mean something so negative about um, ourselves. And I see that quite uh, quite a lot with people as well. Mm -hmm. No, question. Uh, so next question, uh, we'd be keen on any tips for keeping up focus when life gets really busy for things like hitting your step goals, fit, fitting in gym, meal preparation. I want to try and be as efficient as possible. We love a bit of efficiency here. Right. Obviously, people listening. Oh, no, people on YouTube will see. But I have a really busy couple of weeks coming up and I'm looking at this. You guys will laugh because I don't actually have a journal. Can you see? This is my life for the next two weeks where I am planning out my days just so I know that I am hitting everything that I need to. Wow. I know, I know, because shockingly, winging it can feel a bit overwhelming at times. <laughs> so I am just being quite uh, anal about making sure that I am hitting not only like what I need to do for work, but also making sure that I am planning in my rest, my yoga, those things that are important to me, those habits that support physical health, mental health. Um, so that for me, when I was feeling really overwhelmed yesterday with the amount of coursework that I have to do over Easter <laughs> was, okay, no, you've got this. Let's just kind of think about things logically. And also going through, I think we've talked about this before, like prioritizing what needs to be done each day what can kind of be done throughout the week and what's a it'd be great if I could get it done over the month type thing yeah that's my favorite thing to do like I'm just looking at my notes now and actually it's concerning how long this note is on my <laughs> it goes down to the depths of like in next year I need to do this but I've got each day Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and the things that I have to do at the very top of that list and I check them off as I go and then some of them will be at the bottom of the list because I know they're going to go on to the next day so I'll just copy and paste them and some of them are down there that are like okay that needs to be done in the next six months um that type of thing so having a today this week this month six months type of thing can be really helpful and just have I quite like notes because you can just sometimes you can write stuff that you're like I need to do this in the next few months and then actually in the next few weeks you realize you don't actually need to do that anymore so you can just take that off your list and it's not like this hard copy will have committed to doing this now so I need to do it like, like it's much more fluid than that I like to plan quite fluidly so have certain things that are consistent and I think sometimes when you're trying to keep non-negotiables in so maybe it's exercise or you know yoga whatever that is it's quite helpful to see, well, I'm always going to do yoga regardless between half five and six before I have cooked dinner. Like that's going to be my non-negotiable, whatever it is. Um, that can be quite helpful because then you're quite clear on your boundaries. And I think sometimes imagining that you're holding, like having someone else that you're accountable to. So whether it be your coach or whether it's your partner where you say, we're going to go for a walk after dinner every night this week together, that's going to be our time incorporating some accountability can be really helpful and I also think maybe lowering the bar you might not have to it depends on how busy you actually are but sometimes just lowering the bar um but making sure that you do something because sometimes the, the bar high what happens is you don't manage to do it and then you kind of just go into the screw I'm not going to do anything mentality and that's not helpful either and then you fall into that victim role of like well I just don't have time and I can't do anything so there's no point when really you do have time to maybe I don't know get a microwave meal or you do have time to go for a walk or walk to work rather than drive or little things like that so 
I think it's again practicing that fierce compassion a little bit but also lowering your expectations and know that this is just a season and you know most of the time you're doing so much more than that and there'll be lots of seasons when you do less and lots of seasons when you do more and that's absolutely okay okay um do you think the idea of once you start eating sweets you can't stop type of thing is something that everyone experiences is the only way out of this exposure it's not what everyone experiences no everyone does i think probably everyone there may be some scientific exceptions to this Everyone does have the physiological response to eating foods high in certain things like fat, sugar, salt, um, glutamate, protein, I think. You get a certain like um, dopamine, like neurotransmitter response in your brain in response to these foods. That's a physiological thing. That's what happens to, again, everyone, except if there's maybe an issue there with signaling, et cetera. We see some changes, for example, in people maybe with ADHD, for example, or some people with obesity, some people with binge eating disorder. Some of these reward pathways are slightly different, um, but that's kind of on a fundamental level. Um, the For a lot of people, not everyone, who restrict those foods, they will get the overeating of those foods subsequently later. Not everyone. Some people, for whatever reason, their genetic predisposition, um, their preferences for food you know not everyone loves food some people yeah just don't have that genetic disposition predisposition to disordered eating in some way um some people won't get that um but realistically calorie restriction or food restriction will trigger that in most people but yes i say exposure therapy because i think exposure therapy sounds kind of extreme but stopping restricting to these foods is realistically the only way to overcome it in an, in an environment where you're never going to not be exposed to these foods for the rest of your life so realistically yes that is the only way to move through it yeah well, i would usually advise clients right to focus more on kind of approaching their nutrition from a much more kind of place of inclusion what can i add to my diet to make it more nourishing as opposed to focusing on what you have to cut out or or reduce essentially because of course if you focus on prayer on on adding more vegetables more protein more fiber more whole grains to your diet naturally you'll feel more satisfied you'll experience less cravings you'll therefore find it easier to control yourself around those foods as well mm. hey ross question um how do you know if you are overeating without tracking? I have tracked for 12 years. I'm currently eating regular protein-rich meals and snacks to prevent binging, but I cannot for the life of me work out the difference, what the difference is between enough to be satisfied and too much. Roz will be supporting you in kind of identifying the various levels of hunger. I mean, you're probably familiar with like the the over uh, fullness, uncomfortably full type feeling. But what Roz can support you with is finding that 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 sweet spot with fullness. And 
from what I'm hearing in that question, it's more so maybe the perception on how much you should be eating rather than actually overeating at this point. Yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking that too, because often when we track, we track because we want to be on a deficit, which means anything that we, often when we track, we track because we want to be in a deficit, meaning that when we uh, stop tracking and perhaps not being in a deficit anymore, anything that, anything can feel like overeating when perhaps you're actually eating an amount that your body needs. I think also Amelia kind of said something that, oh, that was very helpful earlier though, that when you kind of recover from binge, from binge, eating, binge eating, sorry, it's normal to go through a phase of overeating as well. And sometimes that's also needed, especially if there was a kind of heavy period of restriction and you kind of need, your brain really need to trust you essentially that you are going to honor your satiety. You're going to have a meal until you feel satisfied. Uh, you're not going to feel overly hungry and all of those things. Um, and it does take time to build that trust with your in internal cues and that's okay and like Anna said Rosalind will be helping you kind of get more in tune with your hunger and fullness cues and then it'll be much easier to know kind of what, what your sweet spot is when you're eating a meal to know when to stop when you feel satisfied mm. I think a couple of things too to add on like ultimately you'll know if you're overeating regularly because you'll gain weight and it doesn't matter if you slightly overeat or undereat in one meal in general. And I'm going to say why this is not necessarily specific to you yet. But in general, it doesn't matter if you overeat slightly more in one meal, slightly less on another. Over time, if you overeat, you will gain weight over time or lose weight if you're undereating or roughly maintain if you're eating at maintenance. However, for somebody who's trying to overcome binge eating um, or, yeah, or to overcome binge eating, you may not be weighing yourself. You are also eating to not binge as opposed to eating to hunger and fullness right now. When you're overcoming binge eating or hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, there are certain situations as well where eating intuitively is not the goal. Eating regularly and sufficiently is the goal to stop yourself from binge eating and or to regain your period, etc. cetera. So um, that may not be specific to you right now. The other thing is, is it's not just trust in your internal cues that you need to build. It's also your ability to actually hear your internal cues. And what I mean by that is what I know Ross will 100% be doing with you if you're not doing it yet is somatics work and soothing work and regulation work ultimately to help um, regulate your nervous system. Because when you're when you're dysregulated, certain parts of your brain become activated and these parts of your brain are responsible for what we call interception, which includes hunger and fullness. So if you're constantly on high alert or you're constantly feeling anxious or um, or potentially hypo-aroused, um, apathetic and experienced depression, these parts of your brain are not necessarily able to notice your hunger and fullness properly. And eating intuitively in those times it won't work. We all know that person who gets anxious and doesn't really get hungry, doesn't really want to eat. And other people who get stressed and want to eat loads and snack all the time because they're dis we're dysregulated and our these parts of our brain are just not able to recognize hunger and fullness properly too so a lot of people when you start the work on overcoming binge eating or disordered eating is a lot of people that I work with and we all work with are begin in quite a dysregulated state chronically dysregulated chronically overworking overdoing never taking rest um, feeling guilty and stressed about the fact that they binge and then restricting and putting ourselves under more physiological stress and it's this cycle and actually trying to honor your hunger and fullness at that point it's just it's very unlikely going to be successful so again that's one reason why we work on the regular eating side of things first 
the regulation side of things first. And then as you become more regulated um, and less likely to um, feel like more likely to be in touch with your hunger and your fullness, then we can start looking at more honoring that hunger and fullness once you've got through that phase. Uh, deny a question. So, um, yes, also from so Steph's line now. I'm currently taking athletic grains, basically multivitamin. I initially started taking it because I was pretty sure I didn't get enough vitamins through my diet. Now, since I've been eating fruits, veg, protein with every meal, wondering if a multivitamin or any supplement still makes sense beyond the recommended creatine and vitamin D. Stop taking them. And I say this because Emma and I had a discussion on um, EIQ Live last night and she told me how much they cost. <laughs> yeah. Moly, moly. Something like £70 a month or something? For, for, yeah, crazy. Supplement. Absolutely ludicrous. Ludicrous. Um, stop taking them. You don't need them. You have a, an, an incredible, abundant diet. Um, it's just you're pissing your money away. Spend it on more fruits and vegetables or on getting your nails done or your hair done on something that's more wholesome and satisfying than a greens powder that's what i say yeah i have nothing nothing to add <laughs> Spot on. um so i've combined two questions together because they're on the same kind of wavelength is it true that a plant based diet with no meat is worse for mental health and what foods are best for cognition okay so i think this comes from the idea um of the idea that certain amino acids are within meat and they are responsible for an increase in for example um serotonin production i think that's where that comes from um no it's not true and realistically i'm actually talking about this at level up if you're a coach or pt make sure you're coming to level up in the middle of april um because i'm actually talking about this myth around diet and mental health people now are saying oh we'll improve your gut health because your gut health is attached to your brain via the gut brain axis and if you improve your gut health then you improve your mental health there is no research that's robust that says changing your diet will change your mental health or your mental illness in some way um there was a big study called the Smiles Trial that did some work on like Mediterranean style dietary patterns, which does include meat and fish, but it's mostly plant-based. But there are were some fundamental flaws in that research, which it was a great research paper, a great trial, but there were some issues with it in terms of making conclusions about they were looking at people with depression and it was a 12-week study and they gave some people a Mediterranean style dietary pattern and then they had a control group, which was like a befriending trial, which was basically like where they had social support groups and then they looked at changes in depression. Um, anyway, that's the style trial that's most frequently cited for these types of things. Um, there's no trial that's kind of compared meat consumption in a randomised control trial, i.e. where we give people something and then look at the outcome. There's no research that says like, giving people meat versus giving them veg a vegetarian diet has a difference in terms of mental health outcomes. Do I think that means that there's absolutely no association between what we eat and our mental health? Absolutely not. But mechanistically, the reason that people are saying this meat thing is, is the mechanistic link of serotonin. Um, but that's it, does, it doesn't translate into what we know from the research. 
Mm-hmm. What was the second part of that question, or did I, that answer? What, what foods are best for cognition? Oh, caffeine. Caffeine and a diet rich in all the macronutrients, realistically. Um, some people will say keto because of the impact of like um, fat on uh, fuel use for your brain, but again, there's no research. But what is interesting is anecdotal. Like I find anecdotal stuff really interesting. And we know, for example, that the keto diet is helpful for children with epilepsy, very specific situation here. Um, but anecdotally, some people will say, you know, I feel like I've got this mental clarity when I have, when I'm on a keto diet or something. And it's like, good for you. Like if that helps and I've got friends who have chronic um, pain and say that fact that like keto, for example, it's really helpful for that. And I think, you know, there's no research for that and I would never recommend that stuff. But anecdotally, if you feel like only eating eggs and bacon in the morning, I wouldn't even say that. It's not because bacon is quote unquote unhealthy in terms of like realistically, if we're looking at foods that we want to minimalize, it's going to be things like processed meats, et cetera, right? So I wouldn't really say that. But I am a big proponent of like, you know what, if you feel your best and you're getting all the range of nutrients that you need, then you do that. But no, there's no just make sure you've got enough energy um, yeah it makes me, makes me laugh my dad started having a tomato on his toast every morning because he'd read in I think it was my mum's magazine like good housekeeping or something that a tomato a day helps to prevent Alzheimer's <laughs> and I was like <laughs> this this man had a PhD in physics so I was like mm-hmm really (laughs) are we going to have that conversation do you want to look into research and obviously found nothing that was like yeah that's it but after like years of doing it it it's like well I just like it now (laughs) and you know what like you got to wait up of like do is it is it adding something to your diet tomato for sure (laughs) feeling empowered in the morning that you're taking control of your health for sure then you go right ahead but yeah you could probably find a daily meal article probably for literally any food and like mental health outcomes or not mental health outcomes but health outcomes in some way that's literally what i was thinking because you know that question is plant-based diets with no meats and then you have the other kind of the other people saying oh you have to follow a carnivore diet for improved health and mental health and all of these things and people go crazy like okay what do we believe mm. i mean it's never like reductionist right <laughs> ludicrous um okay D- me mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. i've no boundaries at all in any re- in any relationship whether it be friends family whatever and that's definitely affected my disordered eating when i'm constantly being let down next behavior goal oh <laughs> sorry checking so <laughs> um hold on i think we're just gonna leave with that okay so it's not really a question but I'm no boundaries in at all in any relationship, whether it be friends, family. And I think that's definitely affected my disordered eating when I'm constantly being let down. What would you do in that situation? Oh, I... I mean, that's that's a great link, right? In that lack of boundaries affects the way in which you eat. But you've... I don't know who this client is working with, but you've come to... Amelia for support meaning that you are in a place where you're you're ready to make change and 
So now you're going to have to do something a little bit different and prove to yourself that you are kind of worthy of of putting in those boundaries in place to help to improve your relationship with food because you've already taken that first step. So this would be the next kind of step for that, it sounds like. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, it's like... You've already proven to yourself you can do incredible hard things. I mean, you've you've come so far and you have this amazing awareness to actually know that the lack of boundaries is linked to your disordered uh, eating. And similarly, I think there was a, a similar question earlier where we were talking about someone that was struggling with rest. It's a little bit like slowly now starting with something that 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 feels quite doable, like an area in your life where you don't feel as afraid to start to set some boundaries. It could be really small. Uh, for example, um, I'm just trying to think of something really, really uh, simple. So I've, I'll, I'll use an example from a, a client recently that came up for her. So she, she, she would always say yes to her kids for kind of giving them a lift to certain places, even though she was really, really busy with other things. So she started really, really small by saying no when she knew the bus was just about to come. So she would tell her daughter to take the bus instead. So, and then of course we started to do that with something a little bit more scary than kind of so on. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, starting with something really small essentially is, is key here. And then the more you kind of get to experience the benefits and how good it feels when you show up for yourself in that way, the more you want to do it. Completely agree. And I think also this kind of ties into what I've seen earlier about that drama triangle, right? Of the role that you play in. Sometimes if you are maybe more in the helper fixer role, you put everyone else first and you don't have boundaries. And um, one, none of us can relate to that whatsoever. And two, um, I'm just wondering if not setting boundaries feels safe, safer to you. Because again, if you're in the helper role, that's how you got love or that's how you feel you got love, connection, acceptance. And so setting boundaries is like, oh, that might move me out of that place of always helping other people and always putting other people first. That's a scary thing to do because if you do that, well, are people still going to love and accept you in the same way? So maybe I just won't do it. And I think everyone feels that to some degree when they're setting boundaries anyway. But um, if you do find yourself maybe identifying more within that space, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to challenge that because I don't need to fall into that narrative to be loved and accepted. Um, and that's a, that's trickier than setting a boundary. But um sometimes we have to do these things to break ourselves out of that identity as opposed to waiting to break out of that identity to then do these things it's like when you're developing self-worth sometimes you have to treat yourself from a as a i like you are worthy even though you don't feel it in order for you then to eventually feel worthy and one of my clients is she's a, she's just a legend and she was like i was waiting until i'd lost some weight before i got my hair done and my um, botox and all these things she's like i was waiting until I felt good enough to do these things and it's like no no like you deserve to do all of these things now because those are things that are important to you and um you have to sometimes act in a way that you don't necessarily feel in that moment I'm just sorry thinking also with the fact that it is impacting your disordered eating like what are you looking for from meeting those friends and obviously being let down with lack of with your lack of boundaries like is there a way that you can meet that need aside from just being around those people um like if it's connection are you getting connection in other areas of life um doing other things 
something to consider perhaps that's a great point especially yeah i think that's a great point okay let's do one last question did i go for it uh roseless uh, uh no uh, georgia's client so i'm trying to achieve more of a balance in my life georgia has given me the task of writing down 10 activities that i enjoy which i'm working on at the moment my question is what brings you joy interested to know what yours uh, do to ensure good balance in life lovely question I travel I like right now I'm in Lisbon I'm still working the same as I would always work but I find being in new environments really stimulating for my creativity and I find new environments motivating and just to be able to walk in a little bit of sunshine brings me joy so I, I prioritize if I can um putting my money there and, and traveling and I'm here with my one of my best best friends and so connection for me is everything and she's also working every hour under the sun and she's actually kind of nocturnal with her work so we don't even get that much time together but the little moments of connection they bring me joy um getting out of the house going for a real coffee in a coffee shop brings me joy rather than just saying I'll oh, just have one at home like the little things for me like connection coffee decaf um sunshine like those are the things that probably bring me joy um treat myself to a takeaway pizza every week genuinely brings me joy um <laughs> shutting the curtains and turning my phone off brings me joy the moments of silence in the morning when I'm about to do my meditation where I've still got my phone on airplane mode and I sit in the semi-dark but awake and I think it's all quiet and I have 15 minutes of just breathing that genuinely brings me joy um those are my things I think yeah I resonate yeah. with so many so I don't know where to kind of say I don't want to because I'll say oh the same <laughs> uh, but yeah I think especially for me what I realize even more now that I solely work from home and I have a lot of clients actually saying that they only work from home is how much you appreciate real connection regardless of where you get it even what you said Amelia just going to the uh, to the coffee shop and actually having a proper interaction uh, with with someone so I'm being really intentional now about kind of uh socializing with with uh with friends uh which brings me lots of joys uh, spending time with my partner nature is a massive one for me especially living in london uh i think kind of being proactive about perhaps having a little bit of a day trip somewhere in the country side i recently went to cotswolds for the first time and I, I felt like a different person which makes me think is london the right place for me to live but food for thought for me for the future uh and the sun sign so i'm going back home to greece in a couple of weeks so i'm looking forward to getting loads of vitamin d <laughs> mm. uh yeah completely agree with a lot of those and i think for me i include my animals because they bring so much joy and i think they teach us a lot of things as well um and I can say this because like, she can go back to my brother at the end of the day, but I, my niece and watching her like learn and grow and explore and just find herself is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, yes. Do you know what I got a lot of joy over recently? Because it's Easter. I was putting an Easter bag together for my nieces. An Easter bag. And I was like going around the shops, putting in like Easter masks that they can colour in and all this stuff. And I was like this is utter joy and then the joy that you can get just from 
coloring an Easter mask and my nieces is like gosh what is what dream what a dream mm. how lucky we are to have siblings that have babies for us I know yeah yeah I don't want one but you, you are great thank you <laughs> okay thanks everyone for your questions thank you both so much bye thank bye Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.